Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from ATP Crypto, and I am talking to Charles Dossi. Charles is the head of fintech at Invest HK, and this is a position you've had since the beginning of 2016, yes? Yes. Charles, how are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I think we actually know people in common, right? If I looked at your profile correctly, you worked at Eight Securities for a little bit, right? Exactly. I was the head of sales and uh, and uh, business development for Eight Securities before joining the Hong Kong government. So it's a great experience leading. I mean, you've been in sort of, you know, we talk about financial technology, but if you've been in the finance world for the, anywhere over the last 10 or 15 years, you've been in fintech almost by definition, right? Yes, uh, eight securities uh, time for me was really really instructive. We we launched at the time the first robo advisor in Asia out of Hong Kong and Tokyo at the same time. Uh, it was really the early days of the industry, and uh, uh, we we went through an amazing journey of uh, of technology, of consumer uh, user experience, of also uh, uh, designing the products, uh, all the compliance uh, conversation we got with the regulators at the time. So it was very very interesting. Yeah. So we interviewed what's his name, Michael, Michael. Um, yeah. As well, so we have a little bit of experience in talking with people in the robo space. Um, do you want to talk to me a little bit before about your background, and then I really want to talk about what the what the mandate is for InvestHK and how you expect that to play out. Um, and I do want to spend some time talking about the crypto and blockchain space, if that's okay with you, because I think that that's going to be really coloring what's happened in the fintech space for the next like three to five years for sure. Yes, sure. So uh, my. Uh I'm a French national. I was born and raised in France, and then I started my career basically uh, in China. So I started in in Guangzhou as a sales manager for a major uh, retailer in France, and I was in charge of a team, and we we basically uh, did a lot of uh, manufacturing uh, over there at the time. After that, I did uh, study Chinese in, a, in in Chinese university in Guangzhou uh, for one year uh, before moving to Hong Kong and uh, and basically start a company for some uh, some investors. Uh, in the consumer electronics, uh, the business went very well. Uh, then, in 2009, the group basically I was belonging to um, restructured itself, and uh, I thought it was a good time for me to start my my own business. Oh. So uh, five years after, I uh, I started my own business in Hong Kong. Uh, it went uh, it went well. Uh, we've been working very hard with the team at the time, but uh, the business environment was very very positive for us. Uh, I sold that company uh, to one of my customers. Uh, a few years later, and then we I kept working for the for the for the buyer of my company for a few years. Uh, we did an IPO in Paris, and uh, and later on I was I was uh, I was basically having an appetite for for new topics and uh, and trying to think what will I do for the next uh, the next 20 years. Um, I had natural uh, appetite for finance in general, uh, and uh, I decided that I should try to to basically explore how I can. Uh, I can basically blend uh, this appetite for for technology as well as uh, as this knowledge uh, basic knowledge I uh, I got at the time in uh, in finance. So I had the chance to join the team at Eight Securities. Uh, we did very well. Uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, a purely uh, a startup experience, which uh, I was basically missing in my uh, in my previous job after some years, and uh, it was all good fun. And later on, uh, I got the opportunity to join the Hong Kong government, um, Invest Hong Kong, to be specific. And uh, basically today I manage a, a new practice at Invest Hong Kong, which is focusing only on uh, on servicing and uh, and helping fintech companies from around the world uh, to basically uh, explore the Hong Kong market 
uh, start their business in Hong Kong as well as expand their business uh, from Hong Kong in, uh, in Asia. So, so the, 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 team is, uh, the team is distributed uh, between Hong Kong, uh, London, and San Francisco. So we have fintech dedicated persons uh, in these two, uh, two cities outside of Hong Kong. And we engage with uh, the, major, the, the major fintech companies from the U.S., Europe, and mainland China. So when you say you talk with the major fintech companies, is that established companies like you know, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, and Deutsche Bank, who also run some innovation centers as well? Or are you talking to um, startup companies more like Robinhood and LendingTree and other companies like that? We focus more on uh, on the on the startup companies. Basically, the the big banks are already in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a, is a major financial center, yeah. so there is already a, a big presence on the incumbents. Uh, basically, our conversations are more with the the new the new challenger in fintech uh, from uh, from the, those regions. So, from your perspective, sitting at Invest HK, particularly with your background and experience, what do you see the mandate? Like, walk me through how you would deal with you know, a semi-successful company that's based in San Francisco or based in New York in the startup fintech space and says, we want, to win, we want to expand to Asia and we want to use Hong Kong as a base. Just walk me through how you'd help them out. So basically, we try to basically understand why they want to Hong Kong first. Uh, we, of course, want to, to attract companies there, but we want to make sure there is a match between the, the company agenda and, uh, and, uh, and what Hong Kong can offer. Uh, later on, we help them basically to we give them guidance to uh, uh, to start the company here to get the, the limited company set up. Uh, we help them with bank accounts. Uh, we help them with working visa, finding office space. Uh, we give them a, a brief introduction to the regulatory environment in Hong Kong, and later on, we also uh, redirect them to uh, basically uh, lawyers or service provider in 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 legal services as well as directly to the to the regulators of, of Hong Kong. And do you guys charge for that? I mean, I know there are some companies in Hong Kong that actually provide those services, but they are, you know, like, what are they called? So corporate secretary, corporate action kind of companies that, that charge money for that. But this is a service that the Hong Kong, that InvestHK is doing because they want to sort of increase business and the startup potential in Hong Kong? Yes. So the service from Invest Hong Kong is, uh, is, free, uh, is free of charge and confidential. We don't properly uh, set up the companies for, uh, for our customers, but we basically help them with many, uh, many introductions to the right people for, for their specific uh, business models or, or, or industry. Right. So one of the things that people ask me about a lot is setting up a bank account in Hong Kong. And maybe this is just me asking for me. I'm not sure. But people have said that recently, recently meaning over the last three or so years, that they've had a much harder time setting up um, bank accounts, both for individuals and for company corporate entities do you guys sort of help cut some of the red tape around that or, or is it just really um, susceptible to the banking laws that are existing in the United States and the KYC and AML laws that, that have, are relatively new I think I think it's a, I think it's a sentiment about uh, opening bank accounts in Hong Kong what's happening is there is a few businesses uh, either because the entrepreneur is coming from a certain jurisdiction and it's complicated for him uh, to open bank accounts overseas or maybe the setup of his company is complex and it makes uh, it brings a lot of questions to banks and some of these uh, cases might have more difficulties to get bank accounts uh, but uh, what what I think the, the sentiment is coming from is these people we get very vocal uh, right. The reality uh, is, is uh, that in Hong Kong, uh, there is uh, thousands of entrepreneurs starting their company and getting their bank accounts in a matter of uh, of week and uh, and just get busy at, at business afterwards. So people don't 
don't publicize when they get a bank account, but some of them will be very vocal when they get uh, difficulties. When they get difficulties at Invest Hong Kong, we do have um, basically a, a, a privileged relationship with banks, and we, we have banks coming to us and saying we want to work with startups. And uh, what we do is we basically introduce uh, those banks to, to the startup uh, we are servicing to basically facilitate uh, their account opening. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I think you're right. <clears throat> Sometimes the people that make the most noise are not necessarily the ones that are the most successful. So it's a, it's a fair concept, right? Um, have you seen an explosion over the past few years in fintech startups in Hong Kong? And has the, have the policies that sort of you guys are employing and the services that you guys are giving out, has that helped people and made them come in? Because there's a lot of, and I spoke to Jane, you must know Jane Chan, right? Yes. Yeah, so Jane and I talked a little bit about the sort of friendly competition between Hong Kong and Singapore, which frankly has existed the entire time I've been in Asia. So since the beginning of 1990, we've noticed, you know, who's going to be the sort of Asian financial center. And there's been this sort of friendly competition between the two of them. But have you seen a recent uptick in the number of sort of startup fintech companies that have come in Hong Kong? Do you feel like you're winning some business away from what's going on in Singapore? There is definitely a really vibrant scene of fintech in Hong Kong. Uh, the reason Invest Hong Kong created a dedicated team to fintech is, is basically to serve this, uh, this growing demand from, from fintech companies from all around the world to come and, and start and grow their business, uh, fintech businesses uh, in Hong Kong. Um, we have about 130 plus uh, fintech companies today. Uh, in Hong Kong, uh, we have the chance to host uh, four and soon five fintech accelerators. So uh, I don't know if you're familiar with FinTech accelerators, but basically they address uh, companies which are in the growth stage and help them to basically boost their business uh, and their market entry in the Asian market yep. out of Hong Kong. And all of this is totally organic. Uh, so uh, when it comes to the competition between Hong Kong and Singapore, I think it's a great story for uh, for, for media and it makes uh, it makes a lot of uh, a lot of paper. We, we are basically, I think, um, very much complementary. Uh, everyone has his own uh, value proposition. Uh, when it comes to North of Asia, I think uh, Hong, Kong, uh, Hong Kong is a non-brainer. Uh, if you believe Hong Kong, uh, China is, uh, is important for your company strategy and should be at the agenda of your company in the coming years, Hong Kong is a natural choice. When it comes to Southeast Asia, uh, Singapore is, uh, is very much, uh, I would say, a good play because there is proximity and more links. Uh, don't forget, we are uh, thousands of kilometers away, so sometimes people uh, look at Asia as, uh, as one country or a small space, but there, is, uh, there, will be, uh, there will be different winners for different value propositions, and I don't think the choice is between uh, Hong Kong or Singapore, but which one makes the more sense for you first, and, uh, and some companies basically operate in both jurisdictions because there is value propositions in, uh, in both, both jurisdictions. Yeah, I think that's a great answer, actually, and I think you're right. If you can find the appropriate place, and in some cases, it's actually both places. And I do, I do like the way you put that in the sense that Asia is not sort of one homogeneous place, and understanding the differences between them, North Asia, South Asia, and just the whole combination, you're right. It's very important, and there's so many people, what, so, you know, <clears throat> billions of people literally live in North and South Asia, so the, the market opportunity there is huge, as, as you suggest. Um, are you seeing a secular move away from, and it's interesting that we call it this, but more traditional fintech and into more sort of AI-focused and maybe even to blockchain and crypto-focused um, fintech companies? Can you comment on that a little bit? Sure, sure. Maybe maybe one way for for me to answer these questions is to is to basically uh, 
highlight uh, the priority sectors we work in fintech. So, so the team we built is not going after fintech in general. Uh, Hong Kong has a special profile. There is there is some I would say subsectors or, or verticals in fintech which are really meaningful and which have uh, great success in Hong Kong. So we focus on five different sectors. Number one is cybersecurity. Uh, finance is about trust between two parties and deciding to transact, to lend, uh, or to exchange uh, stocks or, or money. And um, if you if you have a cybersecurity event, basically you damage the trust within your ecosystem. So it's really, really high in the agenda of Hong Kong, uh, cybersecurity, and it has been high in finance anyway for a long time. So this yep. is the first priority. Uh, later, we work also on uh, on blockchain. Uh, we believe uh, very much on the blockchain technologies, on the blockchain protocols uh, to help renovate uh, the financial industry here in Hong Kong. Should it be for banking? Should it be for capital markets, for payments? There is multiple uh, business cases around the technology of blockchain, and uh, we are having a great momentum here in, uh, in Hong Kong. Blockchain comes with cryptocurrencies, yep. uh, but we, we basically separate these two topics. And I think it's, it's, I would say, a stand which many jurisdictions are taking right now. Basically, all the governments uh, and regulators of the world uh, have a strong appetite for blockchain and are very active in blockchain. Uh, but there is still uh, a lot of things to, to clarify, to understand uh, when it comes to cryptocurrency itself. So that's, that's, a, that's a big family of blockchain, but I would say we move very fast on, on, the, on the blockchain as an infrastructure. Uh, we work very fa- very much on on this topic in the in the three uh, sandboxes we have in Hong Kong. So Hong Kong has three different regulators: the HKMA, the SFC, the Insurance Authority. All of them have uh, sandboxes right now and are and are working on blockchain. The third priority will be insurtech. Uh, Hong Kong is a very uh, very much a node for the insurance industry in Asia. You will find in Hong Kong uh, global players, regional players from mainland China or from Asia operating uh, large businesses out of Hong Kong. And we, we are working very actively on, a, on basically growing the, uh, the ecosystem of InsureTech because there is a strong appetite from the existing players and it's also a great way for us to, uh, to keep our, uh, I would say, our position in the, in the insurance industry. Right, very important, after, yeah. After, after InsureTech, we work also uh, actively uh, on regulation technology. Uh, it's not such, a, I would say, a sexy topic. Uh, some people will call it boring. I think it's extremely interesting. Uh, fintech is finance. Uh, fintech, uh, finance is a global business. Uh, when you operate in fintech, you operate in a, most of the time in regulated markets. And uh, we believe in Hong Kong that uh, regulations are basically an asset uh, for, for companies and for, for jurisdictions. And uh, we, we believe also that the champions of tomorrow will be applying compliance, applying the different global and regional rules uh, of finance with the help of technology. So we are uh, very active. Our universities are doing a lot of academic research uh, in regulation technologies. Uh, <coughs> we will open soon the first uh, RegTech accelerator in Hong Kong uh, for, uh, for all the, the startups from Europe and US and mainland China which have technologies helping to apply regulations. So it's a, it's a very serious play for us. Uh, and the last priority uh, is wealth technologies, wealth tech. Uh, <clears throat> Hong Kong is number one in Asia for asset management. Uh, we managed uh, back in 2015 uh, 2.3 trillion uh, US dollar of assets. Uh, so there is a massive ecosystem here around capital market, funds, investment in general. Uh, and this industry, as, uh, as many industries in finance, is basically uh, being um, 
renovated with with technology. So there is a big demand in Hong Kong for all these technologies, and I would say natural flow of companies from overseas coming in Hong Kong to serve all these uh, all these companies here in Hong Kong related to wealth management. Um, <clears throat> can we talk a little bit more about the blockchain? Because I think at some level it's going to impact the reg tech, right? If you talk about smart contracts and how that fits into the regulatory environment. Um, it's also going to be one of the most important things that gets regulated over the next three or so years. Um, I think it's also going to inf in infect wealth tech, right? Because if you're running a robo-advisor and you have sort of automated KPIs that sit on the robo-advisor, they'll probably sit on the blockchain as well at some level. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's insure tech. Again, it's just finance, right? So aut automating the sort of explanation and the actuari actuality around money, right? Actuarial math. Um, and your other sector... I'm just struggling to remember off the top of my head what the last one was. But um, cybersecurity as well is probably going to sit on the blockchain too. So it seems to me that this is one of those things, like you said, the HKMA, the SFC, and the insurance regulators are all focusing on. Can you dig a little bit um, deeper on that and just give me some perspective on what types of applications you're seeing there and maybe even some specific companies and how they're addressing both the development and implementation of the blockchain but also the regulations and are they helping the regulators sort of guide what those new regs are going to be, because it's kind of greenfield in the regulatory space to some extent. When, when you talk about blockchain, it's basically a, a, piece, of, a piece of software. It's, uh, it's uh, most of the time uh, protocols which will bring value, and they are basically modern architectures for existing businesses. And you can basically review your, all your, your business flows internally, uh, should you be an insurer or, or uh, a wealth manager, and try to see how you can automate, how you can communicate and consolidate uh, transactions or messages between within your own company, but also with your your counterparts. So if you think of uh, of the clearing and settlement of uh, of a stock trade, yep. uh, there, is, there is a lot of different parties involved in that uh, between the trader itself, uh, the broker, the central clearing house, uh, and the stock market itself to do the price discovery and uh, and all this uh, this aspect of the trade. And all this, uh, basically, there is a lot of friction today because they are all using different types of uh, of networks, of infrastructure, and it's, it brings uh, it brings cost up, as well as cost of to maintain and cost basically to transact on this platform. So the way blockchain is uh, is helping is basically to automate uh, transactions and to create automations in uh, in in transactions uh, clearing and settlements between different parties. And you can apply that to to the world of wealth management. Uh, where they need uh, to to get way more lean infrastructure and way way more direct, I would say, uh, uh, basically tra transactions. And the same would apply in trade finance. In trade finance today, let's say you buy a container in China, uh, you're going to send the money as a deposit, and then you're going to wait for the the container to leave the factory and uh, and reach the port. Uh, and then uh, you will be able to basically trigger a payment of the LC or, or the next step on the, on the letter of credit. And all of this today is, is involving a lot of different parties working on sometimes very old infrastructure. And what the blockchain brings is basically automate uh, and create trust between all the different parties by sharing a common ledger. And uh, the, same, the same type of, of application in business flow would happen in, uh, in insurance. Uh, where you have an agent selling an insurance to uh, to a customer, the customer got to claim, this claim has to be verified, this claim has to be paid, and the infrastructure today insurers will have 
is basically not as efficient as it should be. Uh, so if you can move all these business flows uh, on, on a blockchain, you find that you can really save a lot of a lot of time, money, and makes basically your pricing more competitive as well as the customer experience. The regulators have some say in that, but to be very frank, most of the action today in blockchain uh, do not need any change of regulation. It's basically getting more efficient existing business flows, and there is uh, there is few uh, few frictions at regulators' uh, side. To be to be very honest, we sometimes point point the, the regulators uh, for for some topics, but don't forget there is a lot of businesses. Uh, running very successful, uh, successful business uh, on the existing regulations. Right. So regulators will will have uh, will have to to clarify a few points and a few situations. But I would say the set of regulations in general, and not for Hong Kong only, are basically uh, I would say uh, a fairly good fit with uh, with these new technologies. Sometimes the blockchain brings new business uh, situations where the regulations need to be uh, to be adjusted. But most of the time, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's flying with existing regulations. Right. So some of the most important regulations I think you alluded to already were the, um, and particularly the solutions where RegTech is, I think is going to come in really handy is stuff like AML, so anti-money laundering and KYC, right? Know your client stuff. And have you seen any companies in Hong Kong or coming to Hong Kong that are using sort of distributed ledger, whether it's Hyperledger, Ethereum, or the traditional blockchain to work on those types of issues, the KYC and the AML, and I'm just wondering if you know what your view is on how that's going to work as well. KYC and AML is a is a very is a very hot topic, I would say, because in this case the regulators, as a, as I say, uh, the the platforms of blockchain uh, more or less are all experimentation for today. If you look carefully, Ethereum, Hyperledger are very young technologies. Uh, they have a very massive potential, and we are working uh, very actively on those. But uh, they are not always ready uh, to to basically handle uh, identity and and private information from end customers. So there is a lot of applications where it's simple to apply uh, uh, the blockchain technologies. But there is some other topics like AML and KYC, uh, which are much more sensitive. Uh, because sometimes the customer, the technology can it can be ready, but the customer is not ready to get his uh, his identity shared all around. Fair enough. And also in this case, uh, the, the the regulator will say, okay, we the new medium you offer to me to to verify identity uh, is not maybe not proven enough. Uh, we need to see a full cycle of the technology before before authorizing this. Uh, so there is always, a, I would say, a, a, an arbitrage to do as a regulator, and I am not a regulator myself, but between uh, embracing technology and, uh, and making sure that uh, your decision is, uh, is, a, is a well-thought decision and, uh, and you are not pushing, uh, pushing the technology too fast or too early when there is still, uh, still, uh, still a lot of work to do. If you look carefully, there is a lot of POCs right now happening in, uh, on KYC yep. and identity of people on, uh, on blockchain, and Hong Kong is, uh, is one of them. Um, but I don't see the regulation changing too fast because it's so, so sensitive. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot of innovation that's going to need to take place in RegTech. I mean, when I was, <clears throat> sorry, when I was working in the finance world in Tokyo and in the rest of Asia, these KYC laws actually became quite important when we signed up new customers, but even when we opened up new accounts for existing customers, and 
you know, the KYC stuff actually ended up taking quite a bit of time. And I, I'm aware that there are people that are working on and companies that are working on, um, you know, streamlining and using the blockchain to be able to do this. And one of the reasons why is because that KYC then becomes universal, right? Where the ownership of that identity sits on a blockchain and then it's easily shareable in crypto format, right? With a personal key to then get shared across other platforms that may or may not have that KYC already done. So it's kind of reversing the model where you own your own information and once it gets verified on the blockchain, it's just verified by definition. And this is a much more, seems sophisticated, but also more efficient way to do it. And I think this is what you were talking about earlier when you said it's going to wring some of the costs out as well, because now you don't have to go through that KYC process multiple times with multiple counterparties, but it just happens once and then it's verified for everybody. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. To stay on the KYC topic, uh, for your market information, a few a few weeks ago, the regulators of Hong Kong uh, basically uh, kind of uh, uh, simplify the KYC uh, for, for Hong Kong regula regulators. So you don't need anymore to, to prove your, uh, to, to prove and to provide your, your address proof when you do a KYC in Hong Kong. So the regulators are also renovating their own set of regulations and guidance. And there is also within the, the sandboxes at the HKMA, SFC, and, and uh, Insurance Authority uh, projects for e-identity. The identity with blockchain or without blockchain, there is many ways you can manage your, your identity. I think the blockchain identity will probably get more uh, of, uh, of business cases in non-regulated world, and uh, it's going to give the time for regulators from the world uh, to understand uh, how the user reacts, how the technology reacts, um, how an ecosystem can be built around a distributed identity of users, uh, before deciding to apply this distributed identity uh, to, to the financial world uh, because it's more complex in the financial world and there is more things at stake. So I would not be surprised if, if uh, both of us get uh, uh, some kind of uh, light KYC uh, use cases with maybe video games or e-commerce yeah. uh, and get, uh, get ourselves familiar, get the ecosystem building around it and uh, and see the financial world coming with uh, such uh, technology later on. But it does not stop the financial world and the fintech in Hong Kong to experiment, but it's, uh, it's a very, very sensitive topic. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I just another topic that I think is pretty close to home and that a lot of people are discussing is the concept of initial coin offerings, right? So ICOs. And this may be where sort of the regulators haven't caught up yet to the activities of people already in the market and already printing ICOs. But I think it is a place where regulation is necessary and it's going to happen. I'm wondering if you're involved in any of those discussions, particularly where you sit in the fintech space in the Hong Kong government, and you just have a view on where you think that's going to go, right? Are those regulations going to be global? Are they going to be regional? Are they going to be local? Like, what, what, How do you feel like it's happening there? I think there is, uh, there is existing, I mean, what is an ICO? It's basically a fund-raising event. And instead of uh, selling a product in advance, uh, like on Kickstarter, or instead of selling your shares to a VC or, or, the, or, or to investors through an IPO, uh, you start to sell a, a different uh, representation of your company or, or your service or your platform. So there is a, actually existing all around the world a lot of uh, regulations uh, for fundraising. Uh, the new thing is people start to sell things which were not always defined in the fundraising. Uh, As securities, right? So you have you have, you, you have regulations, right? Yeah. You have utility tokens and you have security tokens, and this is this is a big topic of conversation, right? So I'm curious as to your opinion on this as well. 
So for, for the security, Stockholm and Hong Kong have been uh, very clear. So the SFC published on September 9, if I remember well, this year, uh, a circular explaining that if people want to do an ICO and their token is uh, basically uh, a security, uh, the, the SFC is, is ready to regulate them because we do have a lot of regulations in place for many years uh, when you want to sell shares of your company. Uh, so the SFC is, uh, is basically welcoming people selling on the blockchain, ICOs, and they, they want the SFC invite them to be regulated. Uh, so there is a fintech, uh, fintech team and uh, all kind of, uh, of servicing uh, opportunities at the SFC to regulate your ICO if your ICO is a, is a security. In the case your ICO is not a security, uh, then it's, it's not belonging to the SFC. It, be, right. it belongs basically to... Uh, to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the regulations for, uh, for raising, raising funds. Um, and then it's, I would say, the early stage for many, many different uh, regulators uh, all around the world. If you look carefully, uh, should it be in the U.S. or even other regulators in Asia, some people decide that they need to stop the phenomenon. Some others are still looking at how to regulate this. Uh, a lot of them are looking at maybe how to, to give guidance for these such events without changing regulations, because it's basically, as I said, a, a fundraising event. So there, is, there will probably have some, some, uh, some action from regulators, because there is uh, probably some misbehavior from some ICOs issuers in, uh, in the market, uh, but it's, it's, it's early to say. Interesting. <clears throat> um, you know, obviously we've seen a really famous ICO here in Thailand, the Omise Go product, and you know, they issued 25 or somewhere between 20 and $23 million of utility tokens, not securities, and they're now worth almost $900 million on coinmarketcap.com. And I'm just wondering what the significance and the implication of that going to be, particularly in a place like Hong Kong, which has been a financial center forever, and it's going to start to see a lot more, right? So I believe 10X is a company that was in Hong Kong that just completed an ICO. And I also think, I don't know how closely you follow this news, but Tezos, Tezos, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, I'm not sure anybody is, is now coming under fire on the AML side of things. And it, that deal looked like one of the cleanest deals to print that we had seen recently, except for the fact that it was too large. But I'm wondering if you're seeing sort of any pushback from existing ICOs that have already happened, and if, if not, if you expect to see some, particularly in the context of the news that's coming out with um, Tezos or Tezos today and yesterday. When you look at new technologies or new phenomena, sometimes you want to, to look back and say, okay, well, what would happen or what did happen in some other technologies? When there is such a hype right now and uh, the price going to the roof and the valuation going, going to the roof, this has happened many, many times in the past uh, with, uh, with the internet bubble or some, so many other examples. So whatever goes so high so fast, uh, you will probably have some, some adjustments in the yeah, at some point in time, that, that, that's almost for sure. And some of the projects probably are, are not as solid as, uh, as people think, so you can imagine that uh, all these startups, uh, as the statistics show, when you start a, a company and when you are a startup, most of the time, within three years' time, you're going to fail. And this is the statistics which, are, uh, which, which applies to an American startup, a Chinese startup, or wherever startup. So these these ICOs companies are basically startups, and some of them will fail, and it's probably going to be a wake-up call for some 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 part of the market and people which are very active in this space, and uh, and uh, it's going to help to clean up clean up the probably the, the industry, and uh, and also it's going to probably give uh, give some 
some time and some uh, some examples for for regulators to clarify things where uh, where they need to be clarified. Yeah, very interesting. So I've got a very specific question, and I'm curious how you answer it. Right. So we talk a lot in our business, right, in the media business, about how we can, you know, democratize payments on the ad side of the business, just in supporting creatives. Um, and creating a media company that's based on blockchain technology, right? That sits on a, whether the hyperledger or a distributed ledger and then take payments, whether they're micro payments for people that want to make small contributions or large advertisers that just want to pay an existing cryptocurrency or crypto coins. So how would you advise if we were coming to you and said, you know, we're a Hong Kong incorporated media company and we want to, from the get go, because we've already thought about this, we want to make payments to us. Um, we want to enable payments and micropayments as well using cryptocurrency. What what kind of advice would you give to us, and how would you, and not just us, but to other companies as well, but to us specifically to be able to approach that and execute that? I would say seek uh, seek legal advice. Uh, I will I will question uh, first seek legal advice. Try to make sure you you totally understand. Uh, where you where where you're going? If you're coming from the media, I have no doubt that you you understand media, but maybe maybe your team knowledge in terms of payment and regulations uh, is still a uh, still a uh, place place to go. So make sure you get you get the right assistance around you, uh, so you don't you don't launch something which happens to be dangerous or maybe uh, yeah no be, yeah be no desire to do that. Right, always want to do again coming out of the Goldman Sachs background like. We don't want to. We never want to get taken out of the office in handcuffs. We always want to do things as clean as humanly possible. So understand that. And I'm just wondering if you guys have an infrastructure in place. If a company comes to you and says, "Okay, you're Invest HK. You handle the fintech side of things. Do you have a stable of advisors that you have internally or externally that can that do give advice for people?" If no, we we, we, we we don't have we don't give such advice uh, business specific advice. We we will basically introduce you to to people which are relevant to your questions within the Hong Kong ecosystem, uh, so you can keep going uh, on that conversations with uh, with people from uh, with more knowledge from from that industry. But we we don't have such uh, we we don't give properly business advice per se. Got it. Okay, and I presume as a fintech um, entity for the Hong Kong government that you maintain really strong relationships with the stock exchange as well and that you know probably includes the futures exchange too i'm just curious if you see companies startup companies or if you expect to see startup companies going public on the hong kong stock exchange you know what i mean so you've seen some chinese companies do ipos but they've done some of them in the united states and nasdaq and even some smaller ones have used some sort of reversed listing entities <clears throat> In Australia, but do you see in the future companies doing IPOs on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange that are coming out of this sort of tech and fintech startup space? Definitely, it's going fast. Uh, people are people are looking at the Hong Kong uh, stock market when they are coming from Asia. Uh, I mean, you can list your company in the U.S., but as an Asian company, you will not get the same exposure. And a listing in the U.S. does not give you access to the same same type of inv investors if you basically do 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 your IPO in a in a in the U.S. market or Hong Kong market. Uh, Hong Kong is one of the leading places in Asia for, for IPOs. We have more than 200 IPOs per year. That's almost one IPO per day. So there is a massive ecosystem around the two main exchanges we have here in Hong Kong, which is the main exchange and as well as the GM exchange. And there is a consultation actually running right now 
for a third type of exchange. So there will be three exchanges we will get in Hong Kong. Uh, this will be also open for, for IPOs, where basically the rules uh, for, for listing your company will be twisted, uh, twisted a bit to basically fit uh, better with, uh, with the fast-growing tech startup uh, communities. Um, and fintech, fintech from mainland China and some other countries also are, are coming. Are coming in Hong Kong. Uh, we had a few, uh, a few, a few fintech startups uh, listed uh, uh, last month already from mainland China. Don't forget, one of the biggest startups in China is not a startup anymore. Uh, Tencent uh, has been listed in Hong Kong for for many many years and is one of the, the main stock here. Yep. So we do we do we do have an ecosystem around around tech companies and IPO in Hong Kong. And there is no doubt that this uh, infrastructure for IPOs at the stock market of Hong Kong, uh, after benefiting to the tech companies, will benefit for the for the, the, the fintech. I'm sure we we're going to be uh, we're going to be surprised by the names coming up in the next 12 months uh, for fintech IPOs in Hong Kong. Uh, it makes definitely sense. Uh, it's way cheaper to list in Hong Kong. It gives you an exposure to the Asian investors. Don't forget the stock market of Hong Kong is uh, is connected to Shenzhen as well as Shanghai, so it gives access to uh, to mainland Chinese investors to basically trade uh, on the Hong Kong stock market. So it's really a, a unique setup. You, you don't see many stock markets which are that linked and that close and that, I would say, um, uh, simple uh, and affordable for listing uh, around the world. Yeah, I mean, you really get a decent amount of access to, and more than anybody else would, right? Like you said, for the mainland Chinese money, particularly as it pertains to the activity that's taking place on the exchanges in Shenzhen and in Shanghai. So it does give an interesting edge to, I think, you'll, I think you're right, I think people will be surprised over the next 12 months to see who's actually listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And see I how. was having a, a conversation with a CFO uh, from a fintech company the, a few weeks back, and uh, they are a fintech co- consumer company. And for them, Hong Kong was a non-brainer because when basically when you IPO in Hong Kong, you get... Uh, a very strong exposure and very strong engagement uh, from retail yep. investors. Yep. Uh, and uh, and these retail investors, being Asians, uh, they, they basically know the brand, they value the brand, and it's uh, it's a great way for it's it's an easy decision for them to decide if they want to invest in this new fintech uh, consumer fintech or not. Uh, so the, the CFO was explaining basically we want to engage with our customers, we want to engage with the market where we are well known. And, uh, and not listing our company at the, on the other side of the world uh, to some investors which are not so familiar with our business. Uh, so Hong Kong is a, was a natural choice for them. Yeah, so do you see a lot, you know, I would say a year or two ago or maybe more, you see, <clears throat> sorry, a lot of foreign companies, uh, fintech companies trying to expand into Hong Kong and, and via Hong Kong into China. Do you see any of the reverse, and do you help those companies too, like a mainland China finance company or fintech company that wants to invest or grow into the rest of Asia? How, how, does, that, how does that look from your perspective? I guess we, we're going to see a 50-50 flow uh, very, very soon. Today we still have more, I would say 60% of the companies uh, are coming from the Western world in Hong Kong to expand in China, but there is a very fast-growing traffic of fintechs from China 
looking at expanding uh, out of, of, of the mainland through Hong Kong. If you look carefully, the, the leading fintechs in China are all operating in Hong Kong for, for some time now. And I'm not talking about a few months ago, uh, but I'm talking about a few years ago, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, people like um, like uh, Ant Financial, which is a major fintech in mainland China, yep. uh, is, is in Hong Kong for a long time. They operate here. They have a license for their e-wallet, uh, and they are basically twisting their products uh, and expanding out uh, out of Hong Kong in, in other markets. Same for Tencent uh, and WeChat and WeChat Pay. Uh, they do have a license in Hong Kong for e-wallets, and they are expanding their business here. So we use the mainland Chinese fintech in Hong Kong, and it's a natural way for for all these mainland companies to to say, okay, we've been uh, we've been basically uh, growing our business in a in a very specific market, massive market that is China, but very specific with its own set of rules, the, the, its own uh, type of customers. And before going out or jumping directly uh, in U.S. market or, or some other markets, they all understand that we need to they will need basically to engage with the learning curve in, in an environment where it's going to be close enough to China, but also very much exposed to the global markets, so they can basically twist the product, understand the regulations which are different from the regulations in mainland China, and most importantly, is built an international operation team. And Hong Kong has been doing this in so many industries for hundreds of years, yeah. uh, helping mainland Chinese companies to basically go out of the market of mainland China and, and basically build operations, build a new strategy for, for going, uh, going then, uh, growing in the world. So the same, the same is applying actually for, for FinTech. Do you the main, the main uh, I would say the main verticals we see coming down for now, a lot of payment companies are people related to payments because uh, the payment FinTech uh, vertical in, uh, in mainland China is very strong. Uh, a lot of wealth technologies, uh, so the mainland Chinese uh, market for stock trading, for wealth management is, is growing strong. They, they've been basically, they started this industry from, I would say, from a blank sheet uh, with a lot of technology in it. So they, they come with a very interesting value proposition and, uh, and platforms, and they, they come in Hong Kong basically to, to, to start to expand uh, out of Hong Kong and uh, also servicing their customers which have an appetite for, for, for global exposure in investments which you can get easily from Hong Kong. Interesting. Very interesting, actually. Do you see any secular changes in employment in the sense that some sort of new graduates or younger people in the workforce don't want to work for big financial companies but would prefer to take the risk, you know, to work for sort of a blockchain fintech-style company? Are you seeing that at all? Do you have any statistics on it? I don't have statistics. Uh, between a job, a stable job at a big bank and a, a not so stable job at a startup, it's always a, a tough decision. It's a tough decision for Hong Kong people. It's a tough decision, honestly, for, for many people in many countries. Uh, we do see more and more, I would say, people and jobs uh, in, uh, in fintech. If you look at LinkedIn, for example, and you do an alert for fintech jobs or, or blockchain jobs in Hong Kong, uh, you will get like 15 new jobs every week. So there is a, a lot of uh, a lot of positions and a lot of uh, employment opportunity in fintech in Hong Kong. When it comes to universities, uh, it's, uh, it's it's getting a growing appetite from from the universities, but I think the finance is still uh, is still I would say uh, stronger. What we are doing at Invest Hong Kong uh, in a, in a few days, we're going to start here the, the second fintech week, 
uh, and this FinTech Business Week will be followed by a FinTech Education Week. And during this FinTech Education Week, we will basically highlight all the different uh, training opportunities, new program at universities which relate uh, and focus on FinTech. And you will be amazed to see that out of the six universities in Hong Kong, uh, three of them already uh, launched uh, a bachelor or maybe a master on FinTech. When you talk to the computer science uh, departments at universities, they start to teach uh, blockchain. Uh, they have classes on big data uh, with, uh, with the financial uh, services focus. So it's all, it's, all, it's all happening. We have to give it time also. Uh, but there is a, there, there is and there will be an appetite. And on, on the other end, there is also sometimes very good jobs to get out of fintech companies. Mm. Uh, one uh, one fintech company here will be launching soon in Hong Kong uh, an internship program, uh, and the the lucky interns will be able to spend uh, three months in Hong Kong, three months in Shanghai, and three months in San Francisco because this fintech which is operating in Hong Kong is basically having teams and business in these three continents. So uh, both the public sector, the universities, and the private sector, I think, are, are basically gearing up uh, their game to, to attract the most uh, talented uh, people in the market. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like every time I talk to somebody in Hong Kong, I feel like I learn more and more about just sort of all of the detailed things that are going on there and what a powerful place it continues to be in Asia for startup companies. I think most people forget that, you know, Hong Kong was built on an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, Lee ka didn't wake up one day and have a billion dollars. Um, and neither did, you know, the Squire businesses. These, these companies and families struggled for a while and built really big things, but they built them from nothing. So I think that the fact that there is entrepreneurship, first of all, but in fintech, second of all, because it's been a financial center for decades, if not for a hundred years or more, this seems like a natural progression for me for Hong Kong. Exactly. There is a, we are not inventing anything. We are just no. reinventing ourselves. And I think it gives us uh, some kind of a head start. And uh, you, can't, you can't build something, uh, something like a fin solid fintech ecosystem and global fintech ecosystem out of, of zero. It, it takes a lot of ingredients, and Hong Kong got uh, all of them. Yeah, I agree. Look, I think this is a great place to end, actually, if you don't mind. Um, I've learned a ton actually not just about what you do but like i said every time i talk to somebody who's senior and deeply involved in the hong kong ecosystem particularly in the fintech space um i learn even more so charles look, i really want to thank you for your time today and i hope everybody enjoyed this as much as i did thank you very much is there a way that people can get in touch with you if they want to sort of ask questions and some and get some of the services that invest hong kong is offering to fintech companies Sure, please connect with us uh, online. Uh, we, you just go to invest Hong Kong, investhk.gov.hk. I'm sure if you use your favorite uh, search engine, investhk, <laughs> and you will find your way to our Twitter account, uh, to our website. Uh, so there is many ways to interact with us. Yeah, we'll put this on the show notes as well, though, so people who listen to this show can actually see as well. Um, Charles, thank you again very much for your time. I really appreciate it. This is Michael Waits with ATP. Thank you so much for having me with this one. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.